and my friends click on any of the links on the left hand side um, if you would like to get more free videos be sure to enable the Adobe plugins it's free to do that just click them and it'll allow them and the videos will automatically start playing for you you'll uh, get a lot more free videos that way also you can um, like I said check out me and my friends enjoy that get your fill of that if you like and um, then feel free to check out the Naked Truth the um, or the Living Water Chapel pages to get an idea of what it is we do here and that's explore the other side of us the other side that exists in us whether we acknowledge it or ignore it we know there's a physical sexual side that's the part many of us struggle with but there's also a spiritual side and that's the part many of us ignore neglect or even deny um, but I believe it's still there and for me that boils down to Christianity um, but for me that also means true Christianity that doesn't mean the hypocritical nonsense churches a lot of churches will teach you or the dogma that a lot of people will try and uh, get you to follow but it means actually following what the one who is named for it says you should do it's called Christianity because it's named for Christ so why not give Christ the last word on any given topic especially if you call yourself a believer and are gonna put your uh, faith in in him then it wouldn't make sense to put your uh, faith in any other words but his. So anyway, that's what we focus on here on the red, on on the living. I'm sorry, on the naked truth and also the living word of chapel, red letter Christianity. Basically, focusing on the red letters of the Bible, and they only appear in six books. So don't burden yourself too hard trying to figure it all out. It's enough just trying to figure out what Jesus had to say. So we're going to pick up where we left off in Matthew chapter 25. Um, that's where we left off. I'm going to first tell you the verse that stood out to me um, among the passage that stood out to me among the whole chapter, and then we can move on with chapter 26. Uh, so this is the passage that stood out to me in um, the last reading. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So if you've ever heard that saying, one of the least of these, that's where it comes from. It's saying, look after those who don't, who aren't where you are, who are beneath where you are, who haven't made it to where you are, even if you're trying to make it yourself. It means look out for the least of us look out for those who aren't able to even look out for themselves and then but there's it also says more it says if you don't do these things like uh feed the hungry um give water to the thirsty um not just physical water but also spiritual water giving a refreshing word to someone spiritually um clothing the naked visiting the sick visiting those in prison and ministering to them that means giving of your time and your energy and your efforts to those who need it and if you do those things then Jesus in this chapter says he'll count you as one of the sheep on his right his right hand side uh, when that judgment comes when that separation between the sheep and the goats comes when it when he weighs out the hearts um, in that last moment um, then you'll make it to the right side with the sheep but if you um, 
do not do these things, if you don't do the least of these, like a, a stranger would be like those who are at the southern border, for instance, um, looking for asylum and they end up in cages and jailed for God knows how long. Many of them dying, being molested, mistreated, abused and ignored. It's sick. And it's what this country is doing, although it claims to be a Christian country. Clearly, it's not. And here's what Jesus says happens when you don't do these things for those who are the least among us. It follows with, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So that lets you know how seriously Jesus takes this. If you don't do this for the least of us, for uh, those who aren't where you are, those who are still trying to make it, then... Count on the punishment on heading your way. And then then some preachers will try and tell you that you'll be blotted out. That's not what Jesus says. He says it's everlasting punishment. That's not being blotted out. And um, the righteous into eternal life. So that's everlasting also. So anyway, that's where we left off. We're going to pick up at chapter 26. Um, We're almost to the end of this book also. So here we go if you want to read along. Pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So Jesus is letting them giving them a hear a prophecy. It'd be like someone letting you know something that's about to happen before it happens. Excuse me. I know you can't see me because uh, but I just had to take a drink of water. And the only reason you can't see me is because I just flew back from San Jose and uh, it's dark and I just got a shower and I look a mess. So I figured better to just let you see the words tonight and then we'll pick up again, God willing, next time like we were before. Anyway, so Jesus is saying here, it's not about seeing me anyway. That's not what this part is about. Like I said, if you want to see that, feel free to check out the site. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, but if you're interested in something else, that's what this is about. So Jesus is letting him know that's what's going to happen. In a couple of days, he's going to be crucified. So that lets us know he knew what um, his fate, if you want to use that word, um, was. And he walked right into it. He didn't um, turn away from it. Although you're gonna, we're going to see here in this, prayer, uh, in this chapter... That he does pray for relief if it were possible for that moment to pass away from him. But we know uh, that it didn't. Then the chief, but that, well, we'll get to that. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the, so these are the religious leaders who are basically the ones behind his crucifixion, of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So don't read over what it says there. Notice that the rich, that the religious leaders are rich. They're loaded. It's just like the ones nowadays with the mega churches and jets and multiple cars, multiple wives, multiple side pieces, all of that. It's nothing new. The religious people who crucified Jesus were the exact, or did many of the same things. As you see, it says they're living in a palace. And Jesus already lets you know who those who are living like that are not the ones who are typically the ones following him. And plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. So that lets you know what they're up to. They're not up to trying to spread the gospel. That's not what they're focused on. They're, these are Old Testament religious folks that he's dealing with here. Meaning that's what their um, that's what their religion is. So they wouldn't be interested in what Christ has to say because that's something that's beyond what they're willing to reach for. Um, 
but notice what they're up to. They're not up to anything what you'd call holy or righteous or pious. They're up to trickery and plotting and scheming and it, it seems like premeditating murder. And a lot of people will say that a death penalty is not murder even though you're planning and plotting and scheming and setting a date to take someone's life. How is that any different from uh, setting a date and planning and paying to... Um, to to terminate a pregnancy. How is it any different? And I'm not passing judgment on either one, but I would think if you're going to judge if you're going to judge your own heart, how is taking a life any different when you're still doing the same actions of setting it up and planning it and making sure it happens? It's taking a life is taking a life is taking a life. So that means all lives do not matter if you do things like that. You, they can't possibly both be true. They contradict each other and plotted to take Jesus by trickery. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So they're crafty enough to know that they do have a, a scheme, a plot they want to pull off. But they know if they do it at the wrong time, then the people will get upset and might clown. Just like with the MAGA people now. They... Uh, whole one party entirely the republicans tiptoe around them the leadership um because they are afraid of the president's base even though they're they're loud and large it's like 30 percent of the 30 40 percent of the vote voting population and god only knows how many more who don't vote although they much know the value and strength of a vote that's one of their tenets that you have to vote um just because they want to get their um their um policies enacted and the only way you're going to get that, whether you want to make weed legal or you want to make or when you or whether you want to make same-sex marriage legal or illegal on any of all these things, you have to, the only way you're actually going to get a say in it. Unless you have a whole lot of money, then you can buy a politician and get your way into it. A woman came to him. Um, so and when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an, an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. Uh, but when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? So this is the anointing. Um, Jesus knows he's about to be uh, crucified. And this is um, the anointing as in it's... it's uh, I've said it before, the Israelites, the Hebrew people... The people around Jesus at this time and the ones who survived to this day are descendants of people who at one point were 400 plus years in Africa. They're in, a, in the Holy Land now and dispersed abroad now, um, but for 400 plus years they were right there in Africa, in Egypt. Not slaves the whole time, but at some time became slaves and then uh, were delivered from it. And that whole story, that narrative is laid out in the book of Exodus in the Bible, um, in the Old Testament. Um, but I say all that to say that some of those customs survive because you see that whole anointing the body and the linen strips and the spices for burial like a mummy. All of that comes from Africa. Or well, at least all of that, according to the Bible anyway, it's not what they were doing before they were uh, in Africa. Um, but it is what they were doing after and is, they were still doing it all the way up to the time of Jesus, which was thousands of years later. Um, so almost certainly it started there in Africa, like so many things. And whether you accept it or not, or believe it or not, most scientists who look back believe that the cradle of civil civilization where we all started also was in Africa. And um, that we all, if you do a DNA test, a mapping test to see where you come from, 
all of us have African lineage, no matter how dark you are, obviously, or no matter pale you are, not so obviously, you still also have African roots, whether you want to accept it or not. Um, so anyway, the woman here has come to anoint Jesus' body uh, for burial. I don't know that she knows that it's for burial, for his burial. I think she's just doing it to show her um, dedication. But when his disciples saw it, so disciples, I don't know whether they're upset. At, well, they'll say why, but maybe they were upset that the woman was showing him attention and not them. There were other times when the disciples seemed to display jealousy among each other, like after the resurrection in John, the book of John, when uh, Jesus tells uh, Peter to follow him. Peter seemed to get jealous when Jesus tells John, um, what's it to you if I if I want him to remain till I come again? What's it to you? It's the same message Jesus has given again and again, where your focus needs to be on your own walk, your own relationship with God, your own Righteousness, not on what someone else needs to be doing or what someone else is doing wrong. You have to start with the man in the mirror. Focus on yourself and getting that right. And then you can get the, the speck out of your brother's eye. Once you first remove that plank out of your own eye, that stumbling block out of your own way, that thing that's holding you up and holding you back out of your own path. Um, let's see. So the disciples are upset. For this fragrant oil might have been... sold for much and given to the poor so they're really there it seemed to be and it's not all the disciples in a couple of the gospels at least one other gospel uh judas is one of the disciples that's um it, that is um that it says said spoke these words or was upset about it but it says more than one disciple and more than one gospel so it can't all just be hung on judas but when jesus was aware of it he said to them saying again he says to them not to him as in singular, but to them. So it is more than one disciple who's um, worried about the wrong thing. Jesus says to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she's done a good work for me. So Jesus is like, get off her back. Why are you bothering her? What she's doing, she's doing for me. And what she's doing is a good thing for me. For you have the poor with you always. But me, you do not have always. So that I think Jesus is saying that in, uh, in the in the physical sense that there he knows he's about to cru be crucified but also knows he's going to resurrect and then go to the father leave the earth where he was rejected roundly rejected i'm um you know he found disciples and some people believed and got the miracles but a lot of people didn't he was rejected by his own but it was other people outside of that faith that he came from um that did accept him and embrace him where he was celebrated not just tolerated as charlemagne likes to say um, but, um, so Jesus is saying, you're going to have, you're not going to have him walking with you always. It's what he's saying directly to the disciples, I believe, because we know at the end of this book, Jesus says he is with us always, even to the end of the age. So that lets us know he's not talking about spiritually with us in this passage. He's talking about, he's not going to be physically with them always. He's going to be gone soon for pouring this fragrant oil on my body. She did it for my and you see what he says he, she did it for i'm not going to say it um but you can see it there she did it for jesus's burial jesus is letting him know what she's done was part of the big picture plan of what must come to pass what he was sent here to do and that is preach and teach heal and rescue but also be rejected crucified but then also resurrected and leave 
and leave a message also. So all of that he knows was what he has to face and what he has to go through. Uh, it doesn't necessarily make it easier, but at least I guess it at least lets you know, like when you know you got to get a tooth pulled, you know there's going to be the painful part, but you know once it's done there's going to be relief. So it makes it worth it. Or at least it makes it easier to tolerate the painful part, knowing there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, for important is friggin' all them. Okay, surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So Jesus is saying this woman, and it's in another gospels it says it's Mary, um, Lazarus's sister, Mary, one of his sisters. He has two, according to the gospels, Martha and Mary. And according to the other Gospels, it's his sister Mary that does this, um, anoints Jesus, wipes his feet with her hair, and um, fills the place with uh, the smell of the perfume or cologne, the fragrance. Um, let's see. Then one of the twelve called Judas. So another reason just to, that she might have done that might be because, if you remember from that um the, uh, that passage about Lazarus being dead and resurrected and the sisters being upset and going to Jesus and asking him to come and being disappointed that he didn't and all of that. Part of why she might be doing this is because she's grateful that even though he, she didn't get her prayer answered when she was looking for it, when she was hoping for it, and she went through the disappointment and pain and suffering and mourning of losing someone she loves, even though she prayed directly to Jesus, she, they had an audience. They were able to go actually physically see Jesus and um, she still didn't get her prayer answered the way she expected. So then after her brother died and after Jesus resurrected him, I think that's probably why she's willing to sacrifice this expensive fragrant oil because she's grateful that her brother's back alive so that uh, cologne, perfume, fragrance, the oil means very little at that point to her, but knows it means a lot to him because it's 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 what she can do to show that she appreciates Christ's efforts. Uh, then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, okay, so you see what's happening here. One of the disciples, one of the twelve, Judas, the one who's going to betray him, clearly doesn't like the way things are going because at the end of her um, being um, glorified, you know, Jesus basically letting them know she's made a name for herself and what she's done here that's going to last forever. It probably didn't rub the disciples the right, uh, rub them the right way because they're men. And if you, if you look back through history, it's male patriarchy that's ruled the day pretty much everywhere. In every society, there's very few. There's a few societies where women have been treated equally or even um, lifted above the men in the society, but it's very, very, very rare. I think the ancient Greek society might be one example of it. Excuse me. But generally, and for the most part, women have always been treated as less than uh, for whatever reason probably because they're physically generally physically weaker and not able to compete with a, a male the way um, other males can but whatever the reason it's um that's just history that's how women have been treated and that's where they were and that's how they're even now you see the men are not pleased with a woman being exalted above them um even though she he, jesus just told them she's done something great for him you they do think they'd be happy 
Then, um, so Judas has gone to the chief priest. That's the religious people who are going to be the ones crucifying him. And said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. So that lets you know, even though Judas walked with Jesus all this time and saw the miracles, saw him raise people from the dead, he's heard his preaching and his teaching. He's seen him escape um, being uh tormented by the religious leaders them trying to crucify him them even trying to throw him off a cliff at one point they've seen all of this stuff judas but not just judas they've seen it all but they still don't necessarily believe and judas even is willing to betray him for some money which is you know not so different than how things are now when you look at the again the mega churches and not even just the mega churches the other churches and religious places not just churches christian church so-called christian churches but other religious places that claim to be there to lead you to god but instead they just want to lead themselves to your wallet now on the first day of the feast of unleavened bread the disciples came to jesus saying to him where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the passover so the unleavened bread, the first day when they're talking about that, that's an Old Testament. It's basically what we call holidays now, but it's an Old Testament high holy day and it's a festival. And it's not just one day. It's a set of days where you do different things and celebrate basically the relief from the whole slavery that I just was telling you about that you can read about in Exodus where the Israelites were there for 400 plus years and delivered from the slavery that they were um in bondage there so they celebrated every year and it's still celebrated now that's what passover is that hebrew jewish people celebrate now it's the same passover it's the same holiday and he said go into the city to a certain man and say to him the teacher says my time is at hand i will keep the passover at your house with my disciples so this is another example of jesus letting us know that some things in life there's already predetermined paths and it's up to us to decide whether we take the right path or take the wrong path and that's whether we treat our fellow man right or whether we treat our fellow man wrong and then the whole path that's laid out in reaction to that and it's a the same thing you could see it in video games i've mentioned it before they're called biblical illusions, not uh, illusions with an I, illusions with an A, meaning it, they're pointing back to references in the Bible. And one of the ones that stands out for me is this one where Jesus will tell them, go do this, go see this person, go do that. This person will say this, you have to say that, and then this will happen. The same thing happens in the video game, the Zelda Adventures of Link games, but it happens in all kinds of quest games like that where you have to say go take this amount of money to this person they'll give you a vial of this and you can go do that that same sort of thing jesus is doing that here with his disciples letting them know if you do what i tell you to do and follow my instruction there's already a path laid out for you that things will take care of themselves but the choice is yours that comes down to that free will that people have you have the free will to do what jesus would have you do you had a free will to do something else and there's i believe a path laid out for each um and it's up to you so the disciples did as jesus had directed them and they prepared the passover so you see the disciples chose to do what it is jesus told them to do not to do something else when evening had come oh and so apparently it worked out because they prepared the passover for them so it must have went as Jesus predicted, because they did what he said. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve, 
Now, uh, so now this is when you, you can picture the Last Supper. That's what this is about to go into. Now, as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So Jesus is saying here, talking about a specific betrayal, the one that's going to lead to his crucifixion. But it's not um, the only betrayal Jesus is going to experience because uh, we're going to read it in this chapter at some point. All the disciples are going to um, going to desert Jesus. All the male disciples are. The women are the ones with the cojones, the balls to stand by him all the way through the end and see it through. And they saw it through, through the crucifixion and were right there with them. But the men turned tail and ran. Um, so, but Jesus is letting them know, one of you is about to betray me. So it lets us know again, Jesus sees what's ahead of him and he doesn't turn aside from it. He still walks right toward it. And he could, if he wanted to, have called out the one who was going to betray him by name, like people would do nowadays, call him, call out Judas and let him, everybody know and have everybody get on him and clown him. But he doesn't do that. He lets them know, yes, I know one of you is about to do it, but then he just leaves it to them. And it's on their hearts to see what they're going to do. If they are going to be the one who betrays him, or are they going to be the one that's faithful? And we'll see. And they were exceedingly sorry, sorrowful. And each of them, Began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. So this is, um, the dish would be like, um, the word supper comes from sop. The word sop, and it's like an old English word, but it goes back even further. And then it's basically using bread to soak up a liquid to eat it. And that's basically what's happened here. They've, um, Jesus is saying the person who, basically got into the spinach dip at the same time as him is the same one that's going to betray him. And I'm just saying spinach dip, but it could have been anything. It could have been spinach. Uh, the son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. So gee, uh, it would be, it would have been good for that man if he had not been born. So Jesus is saying here, that the betrayal has to happen, the crucifix has, the crucifixion has to happen, and those things are already predetermined. And he knows that's the path, one of the choices he could make. He has a free will, free will choice also to make. He's choosing to be faithful to his mission, but he knows also that along the mission, he knows this it's one of the people who's walked with him is going to turn out to be a snake in the grass and betray him. But not just one, but he's talking about one in particular here. Judas, the one who's going to actually sell, who already has sold him out to the religious people who are going to crucify him. But again, he still doesn't call him out by name and not, um, and definitely not to all of the disciples. But he does let them know, the one who tipped his hand with them. So even if all of them didn't see it happen whichever one know the one who dipped his hand with him in the dish at the same time knows that it's him without him having to say it because how often does that happen how often do you go to reach for some food and both and someone else is reaching for it at the exact same time so again jesus identified him without having to call him out then judas who was betraying him answered and said rabbi is it i he said to him, you've said it. So the rabbi here just means teacher. And he's and Judas is saying, is it me? And Jesus says, you said it. You're right. He, um, so I guess that's what we have to do with people sometimes. You might want to say something that might be hurtful to someone's feelings. 
or they may not take it the right way. So hold, keep it to yourself. But then sometimes if the person goes through the effort of asking you your opinion, that's what I usually try to wait for. If someone asks me what do I think, then I'll go ahead and be honest with them and tell them. But don't just honest. Don't be honestly hurtful to people without you know it being solicited. No one wants your two cents unless they ask for it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, "Take, eat. This is my body." So this is the communion what Christians um, do when you uh, when you see people have the cup of wine and the little wafer or bread or unleavened bread. It's this is the ceremony that it um, that Christians trace it back to. But um, the whole unleavened bread thing goes back even further to the Passover what we just talked about. Excuse me. Then he took the cup. Oh, and so and this is take eat. This is my body. That's um, that's how um, Jesus said that uh, he eats my flesh and drinks my blood as eternal life. That's what he means. He doesn't mean be a cannibal. He doesn't mean that at all. This is what he, what Christians believe it to me, in taking the communion and doing that in memorial in in memory of Jesus. That that's our way of affirming our Christian Christian faith. Uh, besides talking the talk and also walking the walk, you have to, you have to, it has to take, it has, there has to be more. Like we went over in Matthew 25. If all you do is say, I'm a Christian, but you don't actually do any of the things that Jesus said, you don't actually know any of the things that Jesus said, you don't actually follow any of the things that Jesus said, then like Jesus said in Matthew 25, you'll be like one of those virgins who went to go meet the, uh, the bridegroom, but you had a lamp. But you didn't have any oil in it, so your oil goes out. You have the you have the profession of faith, but you don't have anything that actually shows any faith or faithfulness even. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to, and those who don't, Jesus says, get turned away. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it all of you. So this cup is when the wine part. So you have the bread, unleavened bread, and unleavened just means doesn't have anything that's gonna make it rise. Like Sandwich bread has leavening, baking soda, salt, baking powder, whatever, yeast to make it rise. Unleavened mean it, means it doesn't have any of that in it. It's a flat bread. You could think of like a gyro or a pita bread type bread is what um, is what it means. And I think it's symbolic of the fact of if you read it in Exodus, the fact, the point of not putting any leavening in it is supposed to be the um, acknowledging that you're going to be delivered from this slavery, this bondage you're in, but it's going to happen in such an instant. It's going to happen so fast that you're not going to have time to even let your bread rise. So just take what you have and go. And I think that's what it's symbolic of. And then Jesus says the same thing about his second coming, that when it comes, don't turn back to your house to get a bag. Don't turn back to your farm to get something that's not the time for it. Then he took the cup. Okay, so that's the cup is the blood. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So this is where the whole remission of sins just means payment of sins. So it's where Christians believe that humans uh, uh, by nature are sinful and that the only way to atone for that sin is... Um, through repentance and um, through uh, your Christian walk is the only way to get through it. 
And we already went over what repentance is. That's recognizing where you're wrong, admitting it, apologizing for it, and making it right. That's basically what repentance boils down to. And that's whether you have to apologize to a fellow human being you've wronged or apologize to God for uh, offending one of the laws that you know you shouldn't be doing. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So um, I think there's a couple of things about that is, you know, that when Jesus is hung on the cross, that it says that they give him sour wine mingled with myrrh to help with his suffering or um um, and then in some place, one in at least one gospel, it says he tasted it, then refused it. In another place, it says he drank the wine and died. I think that uh, this wine that he's talking about here, it says you have to don't read over what he says specifically. He says he will not drink of this fruit of the vine. So he's not going to drink of the actual wine. That stuff that they give, uh, they gave him at the cross would be more like a, a medicine or some sort of drug that'd be more like what it'd be it'd be more like sour wine um not actual uh drink drink but either way it's not the same one he's saying this specific one and he's so that lets us know that the kingdom of god hasn't come into being in the sense that we're in um able to exercise it uh, experience it and acknowledge it and know it like we like he is yet because that hasn't happened yet he hasn't as far as we know we haven't the kingdom hasn't come because none of it's happened with the whole celebration uh with jesus at that moment unless the disciples have already experienced it and we just don't know let's see and when they had sung a hymn they went out to the mount of olives so you know singing hymn that's like when you're in church then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So that's an Old Testament passage that Jesus is reflecting on for them to let them know that this is about to come to pass and you're about to witness it. And it's not anything pleasant that they're going to witness. It's the leader being struck down and the followers scattering. And um, I can't remember... Uh, which passage that comes from but i'm thinking it's a psalm but i can't be sure you can always search it if you just copy and paste that i will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered and paste it into your search engine it'll pull up exactly what um passage it is but jesus, that's what jesus is letting them know here that that moment that prophecy is about to come to pass and if you are um a scholar as they because all they had to go by back then was not even what we call the old Testament. it's what we call the old testament but it wasn't even compiled like that at that point and most people at that time were illiterate and not able to read anyway so the only way they would get the message is by attending temple synagogue or whatever and having the religious authorities read it to them and then pass it along to their families their children their loved ones by word of mouth um Again, because they aren't able, to, generally weren't able to read. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus is letting them know that he knows that a moment is coming where he's going to fall and they're going to scatter. But he's saying after he's raised, that's an allusion to the resurrection, obviously. And he's saying he's going to go ahead of them in the Galilee. And so that's um, on our Saturday night reading. We're going over to Acts of Pilate. You can see where Jesus tells... Um, 
uh, Joseph of Arimathea a similar message after he delivers him um, from being imprisoned for burying Jesus. That's how the religious people paid him back for burying Jesus. They arrested him and locked him up. And that didn't make it into the Bible. But uh, but so Jesus gave him the same message, though, is the point. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble, because you, I will never be made to stumble. Big talk. But we know how that turns out. Let's see. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Jesus uh, lets him go ahead and do his talk, all that good stuff. But he brings him back with the truth, with uh, another prediction, letting him know, Yeah, you said all that about standing with me, but just as sure as you said that, I'm telling you surely that you're not going to stand with me. You're actually going to betray me. You're gonna, You're not going to stand with me. And so this lets us know this is two now. Judas has already betrayed him and gone to the religious leaders to stab him in the back. And now Peter, who's trying to be uh, staunch and stand by his side, is also going to betray him. Even though, uh, And he says here he's going to deny him three times. You can imagine how that would feel. You've done all this stuff for somebody. In Peter's case, he healed his mother-in-law when she was sick. But not only that, obviously, performing all those miracles, letting him walk on water even, and then to still have them turn around and betray you, it's got to be a hurtful feeling. Peter said to him, even if all, even if I have to, and you see what he says there, if he has to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. So he's still talking big. He's. It'd be nice if it were true. We know it's not going to turn out that way, but he's... I guess trying to show Jesus, hey, I'm on your side. I'm with you to the end. It's ride or die. And so said all the disciples. As you know, all the disciples are like, yeah, me too. And we know that's not how it's going to turn out. But let's see. So then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. So I think there's a message there also. Um, Jesus has shown us... um, he shows us by example as believers how you're supposed to um, walk through life and approach godliness. And sometimes it's to uh, group pray together. It's never to pray publicly, but uh, you can pray together in a group. That's fine. But then he shows us more than once here that sometimes what you have to do is go aside by yourself to a deserted place away from everybody else and let that be your God time, your time for just you and God and focusing on that. And that you can understand that because when it's not just you and God, when there are other people around, your mind easily starts to stray into other things like all kinds of other things start to pop into your mind when other people are around. Because you, you're conscious of them being there, and that's not what it's supposed to be. And again, that's fine. Sometimes, also, you know, fellowship is encouraged. But then also, don't forget, one-on-one time is also something Jesus gave us an example of. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. So um, he's separated himself from the lot of the disciples, but he's taken a couple of them aside with him. Peter, who is going to betray him, and um, the two sons of Zebedee, that would be John and Andrew, if I remember right. John, the gospel writer, and Andrew, his brother. Um, So now he separated himself a little bit, and those two are close enough, and that's probably how, who would give us the word of mouth to have this narrative. 
Otherwise, how else will we know what Jesus said when he's praying if some of them weren't close enough to hear it? Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly... So I'm not going to say that, obviously, because I don't want my soul to be exceedingly sorrowful. But you see, that's what Jesus says. That's the place where he was. He was down, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So, um, again, you just I believe that there's power in the things you say. There's power in the spoken word. Jesus even says it himself. By your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. So I think in saying some things, even if you don't mean to, it causes other things to be set in motion that are going to pop up like plants in your life. So saying something like you're exceedingly sorrowful even to death might actually cause something like that to sprout up in your life. So it's okay to read it. I'm just not going to say it just so you can understand. He went, But he's letting him know he's really down. He's really distraught. He's really upset about what's going on. And he's telling them to be vigilant, stay and watch. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So this lets us know. Jesus is saying um, that if he could, if he could have avoided being crucified and that suffering, not just the crucifixion, because remember before the crucifixion, there was all kinds of torment being slapped around, spit on, his beard yanked out. You can imagine how painful that would be. Beaten, the crown of thorns, his clothes stripped off of him. You gotta, you can imagine how terrifying that would be. All of that stuff. So he went through all of that. And not to mention the scourges. Being whipped and beaten with the whip and all of that stuff. And also crucified. So Jesus is letting him know. This is what Jesus' prayer is to God directly. That if it's possible to um, skip all of that. And who can blame him. Um, but he also goes back to uh, defaulting to. Not as I will, but as you will. So I think that's the lesson for us when we pray. There are all kinds of things we'd like to have. We wish, we want. And uh, we pray for, but we have to also remember that at the end of the day, it's God's will that has to be our priority. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. And he knows that he'd love to skip all that suffering and being not all, not only all the physical suffering, but also the pain and hurt of having the people he's done so much for betray him. All the disciples turn on him and betray him and even sell him out like that. All of that is um, hurtful. Um, but he's saying, even though, even all of that stuff is already set out, if it's your will that it work, if it, that it turns out like that, if that's the path you have already predetermined, then your will be done. Um, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? So he's disappointed in the disciples yet again, because time and time again, even though they've seen, walked with him and seen all that he's done and capable of, they again and again walk with all kinds of doubts and uh, all kinds of disbelief. And it shows itself and they even say it again and again and again. So Jesus is here disappointing and disappointed in them again because he specifically brought them aside so that they could be there to watch and hear what's going on in that that hour, that moment, that's because um, something big is happening. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus is saying he knows that they have their heart is in the right place, that they want to be faithful, but he knows being human, the body, it has its limitations. And it's just how it is. And they've said it before. I think that's what the point of Jesus coming to um, 
humanity as a human was. I think it was to let God see what it is like and feel what it's like to experience walking the earth as a human with the frailties, the fears, the doubts, the uh, jealousies, people pop up, all of that stuff that it that comes with being human. Where if you believe the Old Testament and believe that that was God who made different appearances, although there were different gods, many different gods in the Old Testament, if you believe some of them were the same God that Jesus is talk, referring to here, then you have to believe, say like in Genesis, that God at some point walked the earth, but as God, not as a human. So the experience would be totally different if you're walking around knowing you have control over everything and you know that you're not going to be physically hurt by anything, then it's a different experience than actually walking in the flesh and seeing what it's like to maybe be afraid of the dark or not even be afraid of it, but know what it's like to experience getting cold or getting sick or losing someone um, to death, that sort of thing. Again, a second time he went away and prayed saying, Oh my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. So Jesus is saying, if that's what you want, if that's what you have laid out for me to do, then your will be done. Although he'd still rather skip it, who can blame him? But he's saying, if that's your will, Lord, so be it. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So they're human, they're tired, they're sleepy, and they're probably kind of confused about what's going on. Because now Judas has wandered off, and Jesus sort of sent him off after they had the supper. And now Jesus has separated himself, and he said he's exceedingly sorrowful. And they probably just don't understand it all, and are weighed down and fell asleep. He left them, went away again, and prayed the third time. So, um... Um, saying the same words. And he came to his... Uh, and I don't want to read over that. Saying the same words. So this is a red letter, so it's not Jesus saying it, but it is telling us what Jesus did. So I think that lets us know that when we pray, sometimes you you shouldn't just pray for something once. But Jesus has said you have to pray, and when you pray, believe that you receive it and you'll have it. So here Jesus has prayed that he could skip the whole episode that he's about to face, but he also said if God God's will be done. So now he's prayed a third time, and um, I think that's to affirm our faith in the fact that sometimes we pray and our prayers just don't seem like they get answered. Many, many times they seem like they just don't get answered. But I, that doesn't mean we're not being heard. And that doesn't mean they aren't getting answered. That just means we're not able to perceive how they're being answered or able to see in that moment what the answer is. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. So Jesus says again, he's, I guess, he'd be like shaking his head at the disciples. He's like, Are you still sleeping? Everything that's going on, you see how upset he is. They're not actually awake trying to comfort him. They're not, they're asleep. After everything that's going on, they're asleep, but they're human. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So Jesus has let them know, get on up, wake on up, because it's showtime. Everything's about to go down. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, whomever I kiss, he's the one, seize him. Immediately he went up. To Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. 
So that's what the saying Judas kiss comes from. It's Judas giving Jesus a kiss, but not out of love, giving him a kiss out of betrayal to signify who it is and set the crucifixion into, um, into motion. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. So Jesus is still calling him his friend. And again, something we talked about before that you may not realize, Jesus has said that even though Judas did this to him, and even though Judas commits suicide after the crucifixion, Jesus had already said the 12 disciples are going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That be the old 12, the 12 um, um branches of Israelites from the Old Testament that survived today through the diaspora. But the message would be that just because Judas did these things doesn't mean he was even barred from heaven or even from the role Jesus already told him he'd have in heaven. So don't let dogma, church dogma about suicide um, ring your ears is true either because Jesus didn't say it. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. So the other gospels tell us that that's uh, Peter, Simon Peter, who does that, who took out the sword and cut off the servant's ear. And another gospel says that the servant's name is Malchus. Um, and that's whose ear got cut off. And it also says that um, Jesus healed the servant in another gospel. That he um, touched his ear and healed it. Like instantaneously healed it. Um, but again, it's not here in this gospel for whatever reason. Um, and then the other thing to notice is about the sword. A lot of preachers will tell you that it's okay if you do things like the Old Testament says. Where it's an eye for an eye or... You, um, if someone slaps you on a cheek instead of doing like Jesus said, turn the other cheek, it's okay to deck them or stuff like that. Or it's okay to go to uh, wars like um, unjust wars, even kill people like all of that's acceptable to God. Uh, no, I don't believe any of that's acceptable to God. Jesus, it's not, nothing of what Jesus has said and it's all taking lives. Um, but, you know, it is in the Bible, so you can pick and choose what parts you want to go by. But if you're going to call yourself a Christian, it should boil down to what Jesus says. Um, and he's saying here, put your sword in its place. He's not telling them, take out your sword now and go to war. He's not saying, take out your sword and cut off all of the the people who've come to him to arrest him. Cut off their heads. He didn't say any of that. He says, put your sword in its place. And the place for it is in its sheath. And he says, if you do do that, if you take the sword, if you take up a weapon, take up arms as your means of survival, then that's the wrong thing to take up. And it's the same thing you're using to keep you alive is the same thing that's going to cause you to die. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? So he's saying, if need it be, he doesn't need you to take up a sword. So there's no such thing as um, Christian soldiers. God doesn't need you to take up a sword for him. God doesn't need you to pick up a gun for him. If you believe the Old Testament, God's able to strike people down in an instant for making the wrong offering. So why would he need you to go halfway around the world and start killing people for their oil or killing people for their land or killing people for whatever reason? He doesn't. That's something people choose to do. That's a human thing and they will use religion to justify it. But it lets us know right here, if it's what God's plan was, 
he wouldn't need us to do it at all. He have Jesus himself says here, 12 legions of angels if he needed them. So it's not like he needs humans to work on his behalf for a spiritual cause. Especially not um, killing people that he gave life to. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? So Jesus is saying um, if he wanted to, he could call down an army of angels and shut it all down right then. Uh, but if he did that, then the scriptures that say he has to go through that suffering has to, Psalm 24, I think it is, is the one that comes to mind that sort of goes into details about um, the suffering of the Messiah, the Christ who is to come. Talking about Jesus and talking about the crucifixion and the, the um, casting lots for his clothes and all of that. It's like in the Psalms. And Jesus is saying, for that to be fulfilled, these things have, have to happen. In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. So Jesus is saying, Is he been a bank robber? Has he been going around causing riots? Has he been going around shooting unarmed people? Has he been doing any of that? Has he been going around bullying people or causing fights or any of that? He's like, no, he hasn't been doing any of that. So why do you need feel like you need to take up arms and take up weapons to go and arrest him when he's been right there every day in the what we call a church, what they call a temple? He's been right there in their holy place uh, all the time. And he's saying daily he was with them. And they didn't try to seize him. Although there have been times when he was not in the temple when they tried to seize him and kill him. Jesus is letting them know that what they're doing is dirty and underhanded. When if they really thought that their cause was just, they wouldn't need to go in the middle of the night and do a secret quiet arrest when everybody's asleep. The people who actually might have spoken up and defended him at a trial. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. So again, don't just um, hold it over Judas's head or even over Peter's head. All of the disciples forsook him and fled. So that's all. That's all of them. Um, and it's probably talking about all the males again because it's a patriarchal thing and only the men, men generally get named and their lineages get um, uh, documented in the Bible. But some there's been a couple examples of women who did, but generally it's the men. And um, I think, so when it says the disciples forsook him, it's talking about the 12, that they all forsook him. Well, at least the 11 we know Judas already did. Um, let's see. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled, but Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. So again, you know the high priest is living in a palace. We know that from the earlier passage. Um, so his court—it's a push, big, huge place, and it's how religious people, mega church pastors, live now. So again, it's nothing new. Um, um, so some of the disciples are gathering around to follow and see what's going to happen as it says to see the end uh, even though they forsook Jesus on the spot when he was arrested they've come back um, they didn't they didn't stay gone now the chief priests, the elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death 
So that lets you know, yet again, what are the religious people focused on? They're not focused on trying to save souls. They're not focusing on feeding the hungry. They're not focusing on salvation for people. They're not focused on any of that. They're focusing on trying to find false witnesses, trying to find false testimony. And it seems crazy, but it's nothing new when you consider now with the coronavirus going around, what were these churches focused on? Were they focused on making sure people who were newly unemployed or about to be evicted or um, long-term unemployed, um, were they focused on making sure they had a meal, making sure they had their bills covered, making sure maybe they skipped, uh, maybe they used some of their mega mansion to pay for some of their congregants' bills or needs? No, they didn't do any of that. They told you to make sure you come and show up to the church anyway. And make sure you bring your tithe anyway. Make sure you make your offering anyway. That's what the churches were telling people to do for the most part during the lockdown and the coronavirus, with this whole coronavirus pandemic thing, in America anyway. That's how the churches responded. And they're supposed to be the holy, religious, pious ones, and particularly the right wing, the Republicans. But none of them do that. None of them started any fundraisers to make sure unemployed people could have food. None of that. You didn't see any of that. And you still don't see any of that because that's not where their heart is. But anyway, so they're looking for false. Um, these religious people are the same way. They're looking for falsehood. Um, but they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. So the thing with them, you see it said that many false witnesses came forward. According to their religion, you can only um, establish a testimony, a word uh, as true by the mouth of two or three witnesses. So they need at least two or three people to say the same thing and make the same accusation against Jesus for it to stand for them. Um, and they haven't been able to get that. They're telling different stories, making different accusations. And even this quote that they're saying that Jesus said is not what Jesus said. It says, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. That's not what he says. He, If you look through the Gospels, you'll see when he says that, what he actually says was, if they destroy that temple, meaning his body, um, he would raise it up in three days, meaning his body. Not talking at all about their physical temple. He's talking about the resurrection when he said that. And he told them what would happen to the physical temple. And it came to pass. It happened about, like we said before, 70 AD when the temple was sought. It was demolished. It was conquered. It, the city was taken by the Romans. And um, the people, not one stone was left upon another of the temple, and it's still not there today. And it's like two thousand years later. Um, so that's the that's what he said about the temple. So what they're saying here also is not true. And the high priest arose and said to him, "Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you?" But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, "I put." Put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. So now the um, priests are trying to the it's if you want to think of this, it's like a trial because it's basically a trial, but it's a religious trial. 
sort of like a trial, but not in a courtroom. Sort of like the Senate trial when they impeach the president. It's a trial, but it's not happening in a courtroom. It's happening by a different set of authority figures. The same thing is happening here with Jesus. It's a trial, but not by a court. It's a trial by the religious leaders to see what religious, what laws of their religion did he break and what they're going to do about it. And what the punishment is for it. So now they're saying they want him to swear to God um, if he's the Christ or not. The Christ meaning the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior. And they want to know, if you are, just go ahead and tell us plainly. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus let them know. Yeah it's like you said. You're right about what you said. He is the Christ. He is the son of God. Even though he didn't go around preaching that. He's not going to deny it here. Um, he's letting him know. Yes it's what you said. But he's letting him know also. Because he knows that's not going to get him out of what they're planning for him. Him confessing it. Even though they're telling him, they adjure him to tell us if you are the Christ. He knows that even if he tells them that, that's not going to make them set him free. Um, so that's why he's saying, nevertheless, I say to you hereafter. So he's letting him know. Um, did I not read this? Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So he's letting him know hereafter. There's a time to come when um, after then, after that moment. And it's been 2,000 years later. You can imagine why a lot of people have doubts that it may never happen. But um, Jesus is letting them, letting them know a time is coming. Since a time is coming from that time, another time is coming in the future. That's what I mean to say. He's, Jesus is letting them know there's a time in the future coming when they'll see God coming on the clouds, and it'd be uh, the it'd be it'd be Jesus, uh, it'd be God and Jesus together is what jesus seems to be saying here and coming on the clouds of heaven i think is to say it lets us know if you're gonna try and um figure out what jesus has to say about things one of the things jesus never said one of the words jesus never used in matthew mark luke john acts or revelations the only books in the bible that actually have any of jesus's words in them he never used the word rapture. So that lets us know there is no such thing as rapture according to Christianity. Now other religions in the Bible do preach that. Like Catholicism from Paul. That's not Christianity. That's a different religion. It does preach that there's a rapture. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said you're going to see him coming on the clouds. He didn't say anything about us meeting him in the clouds. In fact he said a whole different message about what the end would be. That the angels would go out and gather uh, his uh, elect from the four winds from farthest part of heaven to the farthest from the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven so nothing about us being raptured at all but that's not the only thing there's also the um antichrist jesus never said the word antichrist not in any of the gospels not in the acts or not in revelation but another religion did catholicism does that's where a teaching of paul that's not what jesus said not at all and in the whole Kenite thing, Jesus never used that word. Jesus never even said the word Cain, although he used the word and referred to Abel more than once. So if he really was talking about Cain and the Kenites being a major role, playing a major role in the consummation of things, wouldn't he have said it? He never said it even once in all of the Gospels. So again, you can believe what you want to believe. You could choose to believe what people tell you, or you can believe what Jesus said. And Jesus didn't say any of those things. 
Um, so, but he's letting him know there's a time coming where you're going to see the power, and you and it's going to be real to you. Then, then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, "He spoke in blasphemy." What further need do we have of witnesses? So they're like, that's it. That's all we needed. We don't need to hear anymore. Look, now you've heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, he's deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him. So see, they got what they wanted. They were waiting for him to say the words that they needed to hear to go ahead and condemn him and pass judgment. And they got it. And you see how they got it by adjuring him, basically by saying swear to God, making him swear to God, knowing that if he does that, if he's truly righteous and holy, he's not going to be able to swear to God and lie. So when he, they made him adjure, adjured him, which is like when you're in court and they make you put your hand on the Bible and, and swear to tell the truth. That's basically what that is. Um, they knew that in that moment when he told them, yeah, it is as you said, and you're going to see hereafter the son of man sitting on coming on the clouds of heaven and all that that's all they needed then that's all they needed to know they don't care whether it's true or not they just needed to hear him say it so that that could seal the accusation against him then they spat in his face and beat him and others struck him with the struck him with the palms of their hands saying prophesy to us christ who's the one who struck you so they're mocking him they know they you know they've already said they blindfolded him and beating beat him so if they're hitting him, then they're mocking him, saying, well, if you're able to prophesy, then tell it, prophesy, who is it that slapped you? That sort of thing. Shameful. Uh, now, Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and the servant girl came to him, saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. So just that quick, same night, just like Jesus said, the prophecy is coming true. Peter's already denied him once by someone who saw him there. And when he'd gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also is with Jesus of Nazareth. But he, but again, so it's the second person who recognizes him from following Jesus. Uh, but again, he denied with an oath saying, with an oath, I do not know. He's saying he does not know the man. Knowing, he's saying he doesn't know, even know Jesus. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter surely you are one of them for your speech betrays you so they're saying we know you're one of them you know you're from Galilee because you have the same southern drawl as they do we can tell by the way you speak your dialect you you talk just like they that like he does and not only that Jesus has traveled around on foot and became very famous. He went viral with this with his message and his miracles. So people were following him around, trying to get an audience with him, some FaceTime with him, and they'd also see the twelve disciples around him where he'd go, like when he did the whole fish and loaves miracle. Uh, it was the disciples who passed it out. So among those thousands of people, you have to imagine some of them had to see who's delivering the food, dropping off the bread, and gathering back with Jesus. So it's not like they can't recognize Peter. Um, so they're saying, "Surely you're one of them for your speech betrays you." They recognize his. Uh, by the way, he talks that he's also Galilean, and he began to curse and swear, saying, "And you see what he says there? He doesn't know the man." So, so that lets you know how afraid he was, or. Just how quickly things can change. Because just a, just a passage or two ago, he was swearing, no, he's willing to die. He's willing to die for Jesus. All to go with him to the end, ride or die. But just that quick, 
that's all out the window and he's thinking about saving his hide, which is human. You know, the 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 drive to survive is a very strong uh, desire. You don't want to die a lot of most of the time. You'll do what it takes to survive. And so what it took for him to survive in his mind was to deny the Savior three times, back to back, even though he gave him the prophecy just a few moments ago that that's exactly what he was going to do. And he said he, he does not know him, and immediately a rooster crowed. So that's the prophecy, just like Jesus told him it would happen, it happened. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. So you can imagine how painful that would be for him if someone tells you that they know you're going to do something low down, dirty, and shameful, and you swear to God you're not going to do it. You just know you're not going to do it. And then you turn around and you do it. You got to know how you got. it's got to affect you. So that's where he is. He wept bitterly, meaning he was broken up about it. And um, he sees right there that even though he tried to fight it, Jesus was right. Yet again, Jesus told him what he was going to do, and he did it. And he's disappointed in himself. And it actually ends this reading. I appreciate you checking it out with me. I hope you'll join me again for um, our Matt and Mark Mondays, our John Luke Wednesdays, where we go over those Gospels. And we're on the Gospel of Nicodemus on Saturday night, Sunday mornings, um, just around after midnight, where we'll go over that Gospel. You can pick up um, past readings on the in the collections part here on Twitch. I've been adding them one by one and starting back over because I didn't know we could do that before with Mark. Um, so if you want to check them out, feel free. It's appreciated. I appreciate you checking out. Thank you again. In the meantime, wash your hands, wear your mask, love your neighbor, and stay safe. God bless you. Peace.